skies had cleared and the waters were calm. The storms that had raged through the living prison were gone, but Safina, who sat cross-legged in the middle of its waters, hadn't yet gotten over her rage. But of course, she would have to set this aside. There were more important things. Within arm's reach was a woman that she didn't recognize, a stranger. She watched as the woman stooped down and scooped a handful of water into her hand, then poured it over her own head. Anaya, who was nearby and watching the woman closely, asked her how it felt. As the water dripped down the woman's face, she said it felt cool. Then she tasted a droplet and said that it was bitter. She smiled. The stranger certainly had Fatima's voice, but as far as Safina was concerned, there was no way that this was the being whose consciousness she helped to shape. For one thing, she was way too tall. Fatima would have been smaller and her muscles less defined, but with a mind that was simply overpowering. She'd be someone that looked like they spent hours researching and making discoveries behind closed doors. And when you looked into her eyes, you'd sense how brilliant she was before she ever even opened her mouth. Of course, Anaya had warned Safina about this. She told her that Fatima might not look anything like she'd imagined. And why would she? Her appearance had nothing to do with how Safina imagined her, but was solely based on how Fatima's consciousness envisioned itself. Anaya looked Safina in the eye and asked her if she thought this was a mistake. For Safina, it was strange having an elder warrior ask her opinion about anything, but then again, Anaya had always been very different from the other elder warriors. She was a healer for one thing, and she seemed to be open-minded, which was rare among the elders. But this plan that Anaya had come up with, allowing Fatima to actually experience what it was like to have a body, to see, hear, smell, taste, and touch the world for a brief time before plunging her back into the darkness again. It seemed cruel, even for someone who had done what she'd done. Anaya would then assure Fatima if she cooperated, once Seth was captured, she could return to the world and live her life as a human being. It seemed risky. Fatima was enjoying these first few moments of stimulation, but what if she got out there and hated it? then she might not allow us to see any of her memories with Seth. Still, she needed to see and feel the world to understand on a deeper level what she stood to lose if Seth won. After Safina shared these thoughts with Anaya, she turned her attention on Fatima, who was still immersed in enjoying the water and asked her if she was ready. Fatima paused. Ready for what? And Safina said, 
to see the world. With the tip of her staff just inches from Oscar's nose, Naui asked, Who are you? O looked at both of us, then focused on Naui and said, I'm Oscar. My mom's Amanda, and she's human. And dad, he's Osiris, god of the underworld. Hmm, a demigod. Well, Naui didn't look impressed. She asked him if he'd been the one that had followed her that day that she discovered Hall 33. He said he'd been watching over her, and Naui shook her head. She didn't need his protection. What followed was a long and awkward silence. Then Naui mentioned the strange man with the violin that was on fire. He said that you were expecting us. O motioned to the group of shadowy figures surrounding us, and they waved their hands across the darkness covering their faces, and that darkness disappeared. They were all human. Most were in our age range, or a bit younger. They'd have fit right in at Sunset or any other high school, and their skin color. Like so many in the underworld, it seemed to change color randomly. White, black, pink, green, and other strange and beautiful colors that I'd never seen. Then Oscar said, everybody thinks they know what the underworld is about. Oscar's hand suddenly shot out and grabbed the tip of Naui's staff, then used it to strike himself in the chest. There was a brilliant spark, but the shadow surrounding it shielded him. Then he said, what surrounds me is not something evil. In my world, darkness is armor. He motioned to the others again, and they bowed before leaping into the air and gliding back into the trees. What is darkness, he said, but simply the absence of light. And this world is filled with so many other things, colors, music, dance, joy. My father doesn't believe it, but Seth threatens it all. He's always thought that if he remained silent and neutral, that Seth would leave the underworld alone, but I don't think he will. Once he's conquered the world out there, he'll come here and do the same. Funza was free and Seth was gaining strength. He looked Naui in the eye and said, I know you could use the help. Naui lowered her staff, but not completely. O reached out and gently brushed his hand against her cheek. Then he lifted her chin with a curled index finger. Side note, one word to describe my insides in that very moment, torture. Anyway, part of that help, he said, would be him joining us in this fight. But before he could do that, he needed her to trust him, or this would never work. So, in order to prove that his intentions were pure, he wanted Naui to have her own shadow armor. 
by the way, that's not what they were calling it at the time. But these were the first words that popped into my head. Shadow armor. O said he'd teach her to use this armor and together they could end this war. Neither of them looked at me during all this. It was as if I'd suddenly vanished. I I wondered if this was what it felt like to be invisible. Then Naoi turned away from him and pulled me off by the hand. She told O that we'd be right back and we huddled together, kind of off in the distance. Naoi looked overwhelmed and confused. Two expressions I thought I'd never see on her face. She whispered that she didn't know what to do. It felt right. What he was saying, he felt right. But Funza felt right too. And look what happened with her. Admittedly, I gagged a little when she said he felt right, but I quickly cleared my throat. Nawi asked me what I thought we should do. Oh, it was we now, I thought. Suddenly, back to being visible again. Well, truthfully, I wasn't sure either, but as much as I hated to admit it, he didn't seem so bad, I guess, and we could definitely use the help of a demigod. For now, I said, let's see where this thing takes us. Now I nodded, and when we headed back toward O, I noticed that he was staring up toward the sky. He pointed and said that they could sense us. Nawi and I looked up. Who was they? At first, all I could see were stars, but a few of them. They seemed closer than before, as if they were moving toward us. Oscar checked the fiery path we'd been on. Its glow had dimmed. The path had been shielding us from them, whatever they were, but that shield was wearing thin. O looked at us both and said, we've got to go now. There were so many people and so much sound. Fatima stood in the middle of it on a sidewalk in Manhattan, New York. Her head was tilted upwards, eyes shut, and she simply listened. Safina and Asha were in the backdrop, watching her. Safina shivered. It had been so cold that day, and she'd wished that she'd stayed on the, that tropical island near Fuji or in Medellin, Colombia, where the spring was year-round. They'd seen so much in such a short time. Fatima had seen and smelled bright red poppies in Japan and swam in the Great Barrier Reef. She'd tasted chili in Mexico and drunk gallons of water to dose the fire it ignited in her mouth. And then she listened to the jungles of the Amazon at night. She'd stood on the top of a glacier with bare feet and seen artwork 
from around the world. Anaya looked at Safina and said, It's time. Then they walked over to Fatima and led her away. They eventually found an abandoned warehouse and walked in. There was graffiti everywhere. Safina took out her onk, and they all vanished through a wall. When they stepped out, the first thing that Fatima saw was a sky that was ablaze with orange light and the sun slowly sinking below the horizon. Nearby were giraffes, zebras, elephants, lions. Fatima asked where they were, and Safina said, Serengeti National Park in Africa. Fatima nodded and stared in awe at the sky. Anaya stood close to her and said, Imagine if this all went away. All that you've seen, heard, touched, tasted, and smelled. Imagine if it just vanished. Anaya paused to let that sink in and said, If Seth wins this war, that's exactly what's going to happen. The world wasn't a perfect place. Fatima had seen that too. There were wars and poverty, but there was also hope and love. And whatever happens to this world, it shouldn't be up to Seth. It should be up to the people of the world. As the sun disappeared, Safina took Fatima by the hand and said, think about it. I looked back. Two of the lights that I thought were stars were now gliding over the trees. I couldn't make out forms because they were just way too bright, but I could feel the power emanating from them. O had quickly explained, as we ran through the forest, that these beings guarded the underworld from intruders. That's who was coming after us. What was worse was that he had no control over them, despite being the son of Osiris, and Osiris was the only being in the underworld that could stop them. Up ahead, the path that we were on dipped down into some kind of tunnel. O said that it was going to feel strange, but just go with it. I wasn't sure what he was talking about until we were inside the tunnel and I suddenly felt weightless. A powerful wind came out of nowhere and pushed us from behind into flight. This was crazy. We'd gone from running to actually flying, and let me tell you, we were moving at an incredible speed. At first, there was only darkness. Then I could see planets. Yes, I said planets. Some were massive, like Jupiter, while others were much, much smaller. I know how it sounds, but this was like outer space, or should I say inner space? At one point, I even saw a comet way off in the distance with a tail that didn't seem to end. But there was no time to truly take any of this in. I glanced back and saw, well, it looked like a sphere of light, and it was growing more and more brilliant by the second. 
Nawi spun around and sat up. She raised Aja, her weapon. Then I heard O say that if she hit that ball of light with her weapon, the blast would be so powerful that folks on Earth would feel it. No, they had to outrun it. A second sphere was suddenly visible, and it was brighter than the first. They were minutes, maybe seconds away. Then I heard O say, over there. He pointed toward a planet that looked as dark as the armor he was wearing, but surrounding it were Saturn-like rings that were glowing red. He adjusted himself so he was between me and Naui and took our hands. At this point, the spheres were so bright that I couldn't see anything. Then I felt O's hand yank us hard right. We were dropping so fast. I could feel my stomach leap into my nostrils. A split second later, we slowed down and I opened my eyes. We were descending into pitch black. I couldn't see Naui or O, but I could still feel O's grip. The first thing I did was call out Naui's name, and she said right here, Oh, thank goodness. A split second later, I felt my feet touch solid ground. What a relief that was. But I couldn't see then, after a few moments, I was able to see the lightning bolt on Naui's staff, and I again noticed the new symbol underneath it. It looked like a, like a lion, or maybe a lioness? It was strange at that moment to be focused on such a thing, but it was the only source of light. Naui asked, oh, where we were. And he said that this was the place where the armor was born. He said it was a living being, and as such, would pick the being that felt most compatible with it. My only thought in that moment was for it to hurry up and choose, because this place gave me the creeps. Now I asked, oh, how she'd know when it picked her, and... All O could say was, it was hard to explain. He said it'll be a feeling inside, like a burst of energy. Strange, I thought. There was something happening in my stomach. Hungry? No. It, it honestly felt like I'd swallowed electricity, if that makes sense. And it was crackling away in, inside. Then I said... My stomach, it, it feels strange. Naui lowered her staff until the lightning bolt was near my belly button, and there were, well, the only way I could describe it would be black electrical strands emanating from it. And hovering into view near those strands was a dark sphere about the size of a spherical paperweight. What in the world was it? I began backing away, and... It followed. O said it was armor. I was like, oh no, not that creepy shadow armor stuff. No, no, no. O kept assuring me that it was okay, that it had just connected to me. I was moving faster, trying to get away from it, but it was like some kind of puppy dog following me wherever I went. I tripped over my feet, and before I could hit the ground, I felt something catch me. 
I was like, is that you, Nahoy? She said, no, that was your new friend. I felt the same force that caught me raise me back onto my feet. Then the sphere came around and resumed hovering near my stomach. I asked O if I could get rid of it, and he said, no, once it connects, it's for life. No, I thought, this was supposed to be happening to Naui, not me. Then a light broke through the darkness. Those beings, they'd found us. O grabbed our hands, and suddenly we were climbing through the air. He reassured Naui that we'd be back to find armor for her. And within seconds, I again felt that very powerful tailwind. We were accelerating again, but the spheres were even closer. We weren't going to be able to outrun them. Up ahead was a black hole, and it was massive. O said that this was the way out, but it didn't look like we were going to make it. I could feel the power coming off these things, and I imagined that this was what it must be like to be too close to the sun. Now he grabbed hold and held me from behind. She was actually shielding me. Then I saw O come in behind us and push. We were moving even faster, if that's even possible. Then there was blast and darkness. I was spinning, but I could still feel Nawe. Oh. And suddenly, I felt the cold floor. I opened my eyes. We were in the hallway. Hall 33. Oh, we made it. But where was O? Both Nawe and I looked around. Had he made it? Then I looked down at my stomach. The sphere was gone. Disoriented, we walked to the door and opened it. Once we stepped out, Hall 33 was gone. In two weeks, the search for Seth begins.